Hello, hello. Welcome, bienvenidos todos to Lit Latinas Book Club. It's a little corner of the internet where Latinx, Latin, and other BIPOC authors are celebrated and highlighted. This week, we are continuing our read on Big Chicas Don't Cry by Annette Chavez Macias. Okay, let's get into it. This week, there is just so much to talk about. We are focusing on chapters 24 through 35. And the twists and turns on this story's plotline are just, it's too much. Um, I love it. And it's also a little surprising. So let's let's dive into it. This episode's really going to focus a lot more on the book and the experiences in each character's storyline versus topics and themes that we've talked about before. So if you've been listening with us, week one was about Latino identity development and the different stages that we can encounter as we progress through life, as we continue to really um, identify with who we are and where we come from and how do we fit into this world and society and stereotypes and a lot of just minority majority culture um, assimilations or rejections and things like that week two we definitely went over microaggressions and how it can negatively affect our identity development so those two weeks kind of built upon each other this week is a little bit different, so I just want to throw that out there. We are not going to really focus on bigger, larger um, topics or themes. We're really going to focus on the book, so please be prepared. Okay, so this week's biggest cliffhanger is Huelita. We don't really know what's going on with Huelita. We just know that she suffered a heart attack, and we can clearly see the toll that it's taking on the family. However, while this major event is happening, right, this major plot twist, all of the primas are still going on through life. Like, there are still storylines that need to be developed. So we're going to start with Mari. Right before Huelita is hospitalized, there is this moment between Mari and Selena. Selena has come to New York for a job interview that Nathan set up, remember? And after the interview, Selena is shopping around, browsing, and she sees this luxury handbag. She obviously really wants it, and she notices that her cousin, Mari, is there too. Well, it turns out that Mari ends up buying the bag that Selena was eyeing, and I was in shock. I honestly did not even like that Mari did that. She didn't even ask Selena, how are you? What's going on? Let's get dinner. Instead, she just bought the handbag and walked out of the store when she clearly knew that Selena wanted it. That's just like super petty to me. It's super petty. It's just gives me bad vibes. I just did not sit well with it. I do want to also point that throughout the storyline we also learn more about Mari and the relationship with her dad and that side of the family so I'm not excusing her behavior but what I am saying is that her character 
is very complex and it has to do with things that we still don't know about that get revealed later on throughout the chapter. So, for example, one instance that pops out in the book is right after Huelita's hospitalization, Mari is walking to her car. Yes, big shocker. We know that Mari went to go see Huelita in the hospital. She obviously saw the entire family there and she kind of bounced after that. So she's at the hospital and is leaving at this point and is walking to her car and her dad kind of follows her. And so there's this moment in the chapter where she kind of just explodes. Everything that she's been holding in, everything that she's bottled up is kind of just released. And he tells her dad that he forgot about her, that he forgot he had a daughter. Her dad is known as Tio Ricardo. And his response to her outburst is that she doesn't know what he was going through. He does apologize. He says he's sorry, but she doesn't understand. She could never understand what he was going through. And Mari just was like i can't even believe that you're saying this she doesn't listen and she kind of just leaves so there's definitely some tension there definitely some unresolved issues but you can clearly see as a reader that maria is in a state of healing you can tell that she values family very deeply when she reminisces reminisces about Welita and her primas but she also feels betrayal she moved away with her mom and it felt like she was forgotten about. She mentions how she grew up with very little money and now in her adulthood, she has an abundance of money due, her, due to her husband. This kind of led me to the question for Mari this week, which is how can we forgive but also hold people accountable for their actions? How can we forgive people but also let them know like that they hurt us? And how do we move on from that? Um, one of the character or the side characters is Leti, and that's like Mari's housekeeper or chef. Leti is a woman who helps take care of Mari and Esteban's home, and she has a conversation with Mari on page 201. Leti says, family is the most important thing in the world. Sometimes, though, you don't realize it until you don't have it anymore. Mari asks, what if your family does something to hurt you? Letty seemed to think about this for a moment and then said, People aren't perfect, Marisol. We all make mistakes, and the only thing we can do is hope that we are forgiven. I know you do not like to talk about your parents, and I'm not saying that you should. I just think that sometimes holding on to only the bad things that happen to us leaves us too tired to enjoy the good. Obviously, Marie is hurt by her family. How can she forgive and make peace, but also at the same time hold her dad and her mom accountable for not being there for when she needed them the most? What are some tips and tips what are some tips and tricks that you can work on in order to forgive or work through for forgiveness? Um, I definitely think that this is a major, major question that a lot of us kind of experience and go through. You know, people hurt us in the real world. Whether it's like a boyfriend or your mom or a cousin or a friend, right? We go through these relationships. We go throughout life trusting people, trusting that they're going to take care of our heart, that they're going to take care of our emotions, that they're going to take care of just our overall kind of well-being, right? We trust them 
to share a relationship, a friendship, an intimacy, um, a parent, right? A parent, parent or a, a offspring relationship. It's it's part of life. So when somebody does something to us and we hurt them, I think a lot of times our first initial reaction is to cut them off, right? And I think that's what Mari did. Mari just kind of cut her entire family off and only kept in touch with Huelita. However, is that always the best practice? Should we just cut people off? Should we offer a chance for them to explain themselves? And what if they do? And what if we don't like that explanation? How do we move on from that? Um, it kind of really reminded me of, like about Bell Hooks and so her quote about, you know, how can we hold people accountable for their actions while still remaining in touch with their humanity, right? And so I think that question is just super important in general for life, not only for Latinos, but for everybody in general. I think there are a lot of instances in life where we have been hurt and we know that we've been hurt. How can we move on or what can we do in order for us to be at peace with that hurt? Okay, so now we're talking about Erika. And Erika has it bad. She has the love bug, y'all. She has officially declared that she is in love with her boss, Adrian. That is first and foremost. But I think what I want to talk about with Erika's character is this moment when she gets home from visiting Walita in the hospital. And she's laying on her couch with a headache. Mind you... Adrian is also in her apartment and they're sitting on a couch and yes I know this could lead up to a moment but it doesn't relax okay no sean cochinos nothing happens Erika and what I want to talk about with her is almost how we can see how our bodies react to memories either good or bad we know that our bodies can store trauma But our bodies, I feel like, can also bring us back to positive moments and make us feel joyful or happy in certain instances and circumstances. On page 193, she says, When I was younger, I would get migraines. Walita would pour me a glass of cold milk and make me lie down in the spare bedroom. She'd bring in a Ziploc bag filled with ice cubes and place it on top of my head. If the pain was too much, She'd lie me down next to she'd lie down next to me and rub my head until I fell asleep. I didn't realize I was crying until Adrian wiped a tear from my cheek. I don't think it's a coincidence that Erika is feeling this way. She just came home from the hospital and she's having a migraine from the stress and the worry of her abuelita and her body is reacting to this moment as if she was her younger self again. She's feeling this sense of comfort that she's being taken care of. And as I've said it before, Erika definitely gives me big sister energy. She really doesn't care about what people think of her. She's a strong woman who is tough, but also has a sensitive side. Her tears are super important to me because it shows me how a lot of the times we're really taught to be strong and not emotional. And there's this like myth that we can't be both. However, we know that this is a lie. We can be both. We can be strong and we can still be emotional and that's okay. 
And Erika has this memory stored in her body and it kind of manifests physically when she cries. With Erika, I really feel that she's showing us that our strength isn't measured by the lack of emotions or vulnerability that we show. And she is learning that the close, like slowly, that the closer she gets to Adrian, she is able to kind of be this person. She's able to be sensitive and strong. And speaking of Adrian, I definitely am getting red flags from him. This man, okay, one page I'm reading and I despise him. The next page I'm reading and I am like, he is perfect for Erika. We like him. We hate him. We like him again. We hate him again. And I just, it's so, so red flaggy for me. In the midst of all of this stuff kind of going around, right? When Erika's being hospitalized, Erika is trying to rekindle her relationship with her cousin, Mari. In the midst of all of this, he invites Erika to meet his parents at their anniversary. First of all, he definitely did not tell Erika that his parents are wealthy, okay? I would have been so upset because if I were Erika, you're putting me in a place where I already feel like an outsider. His parents apparently own like this really big mercado or supermarket and they have made a living. It is referenced multiple times that Adrian's dad wants him to take over the business, but it never really said what business it was, and now we know that they own a chain of supermarkets, okay? So, he did not tell Erika that his parents had money. Erika shows up, obviously, trying to be comfortable, trying to um, win them over, you know? But the thing that irked me the most was that his ex, Isela, shows up. And yes, we can tell by the, by the description that she's super gorgeous, but what is this nonsense about him telling his parents that he and Erika only work together and telling this ex or telling this girl that that's his, you know, I'm his boss or he's my boss. I am just like, what is going on in Adrian's head? He is her boss. We know this, but come on. We cannot deny that there are not sparks there. Like, there is something there. There is chemistry there between Adrian and Erika, and he completely negates that. At this point, I definitely feel like he and Erika are dating, and he does not acknowledge that. Erika, though, being the big sister that she is, she definitely handles it with finesse. She just kind of thinks herself, thinks to herself in that moment, and she's kind of just like, screw it. I'm here for a good time, not a long time. And literally just serves herself more tacos. We know that she's hurting, but obviously she doesn't want them to know. So for Erika, my question is like, how do you navigate a space like this? What do you do? What do you do when, again, somebody kind of hurts your feelings and you don't know how to address it? When do you bring this up? When do you tell somebody that they're actions kind of caused you to feel a certain way and that their behaviors were not aligned with the perception that you had of them right I never would have thought that Adrian would have treated her like this and now that I'm seeing it unfold I'm kind of just like what is going on where I missed I mean there were a little bit of red flags but I feel like 
throughout the development of the relationship, I completely missed all of those. Like, I just don't know where this came from. Okay, Selena. Selena cracks me up. She definitely gives me, like, she's the youngest cousin of them, vibes, energy, whatever you want to call it. She reminds me a lot of my younger cousin, Jasmine, and it's just her personality. Like, she just doesn't really, you know, think before she speaks. And it's not in a bad way. It's just, like, who she is. She kind of word vomits um, a lot of whatever she's thinking. But she also has a very sensitive and caring side to her. And at this point in the story, Selena is at a pivotal, pivotal career point. Like, it is just... A really intense moment for her she's just been interviewed for a big mark or she just interviewed for a big marketing firm in new york her dating life clearly is going great with nathan even if she's in denial she obviously has feelings for him however you know we talked about selena's boss cat the one that's pretty much a racist um as is evident you know in all the microaggressions that she has or creates towards selena at this point in the book, Kat is fired, okay, finally, about time. Not for the reasons you think, but she is fired. Basically, a client that she is sleeping with or sleeps with is cheating on her, and during a Twitter campaign or for a marketing uh, plan, Kat has decided to sabotage this man's career, but ended up sabotaging her own career. Anyway, so there's no real clear opportunity for Selena to get a promotion, okay? Like, it's not like they've asked Selena to apply. It's not like they've opened it up to other positions. Selena is just working there and getting things done at this point. We know that Kat being fired is pretty much a great job, a great opportunity for her. Um, however... The thing is that Selena's bosses don't want her to move into Kat's position just yet. They want her to take the responsibilities of Kat's job without the pay or the title. And instead, they just kind of offered her um, a minimal increase in her salary. And the title did change, but it wasn't to whatever Kat's title was, like VP of marketing or whatever it was. It just got shifted to project manager um i'm pretty sure that at this point selena is also going to get the promotion at the other firm too and selena ends up ultimately you know she decides to think about this at this point before making a, a decision here's the plot twist okay and here's the part where i really want to talk about while selena is having all these great opportunities come her way there's also this sense of guilt there's a point in the story where Selena and her mom are talking and her mom says, it means a lot to have everyone here during something like this, referring to um, Juelita's hospitalization, right? So it means a lot to have everyone here during something like this. I know it's selfish, but I don't want to imagine one of you moving away so far that I could only see you on holidays. Selena notates, although I smiled, my heart sank into my stomach. This is on page 196, by the way. I feel very similar to Selena right now, 
because I did move away from my hometown. I'm originally from Los Angeles and my entire family is out in LA within like a 10 mile radius. Anyways, I moved away for a job and a relationship and I cannot begin to explain to you the guilt I face consistently about being away. Funny enough, you know, last week was my mom's birthday and it's just really hard. The decision and my reflection about my decision It was just a really hard one to make. For Selena, my question is, or what I would like to know is, what is everyone's decision-making process when it comes to these big life changes? How do we know what we're doing is the best for us? Selena also has Mari, you know, the cousin that moved away and doesn't really speak to the family anymore. So there's this sense of like, I don't want to be like her. So if you've moved away from your family or your hometown, do you regret it? How are you coping? What are things that you do to stay connected with your family back home, if you have any? I just wonder and I'm just curious because as I reflect on my own move and my own journey, I like I still don't have the answers to some of these questions. I still don't know, you know, if I made the right decision. Like, I don't know why I did what I did I just kind of did it because I've always wanted to right um I don't think I really had like a process I don't think I really took the time to really kind of think about it it was just something that I jumped into um I don't have any regrets at all but I'm curious to know you know what how does everybody make these life changes for Selena she's going to be moving away to New York it's like across the country right she's literally moving from one coast to the other additionally it's like this added layer with Mari as I mentioned Mari is just an example of a cousin that already moved away and it didn't turn out very well Mari doesn't talk to the family she doesn't have a relationship and it's almost like this sense of like is she going to be like Mari is she going to cut the family off is she going to move away and never speak to anyone again so Like I said, I'm just curious to know, like, if you moved away from your family or your hometown, do you regret it? How are you coping? What do you do to stay connected if you do anything? Or was this the best decision you've ever made and why? So let me know. Lastly, the person I've been waiting to talk about the most is my girl, Gracie. Gracie, Gracie, Gracie. Miss Gracie has been sneaking around with Tony. Just kidding. She's not really sneaking around, but you you know what I mean. Gracie has been spending so much more time with Tony and we get a little we get a little action, a little steamy action in one of the chapters. Um, but I digress. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. So let's talk about Gracie. Gracie and Tony have been planning this event together right it's like the fiesta they're part of a committee where they have to make executive decisions about an event happening at work it's the annual fiesta for the school but during their planning meetings or their uh what are they called during their planning time during their meeting times they also happen to go get lunch together or dinner together depending on the time and the day and all these other factors I think it's super important to talk about Tony and the growth that this man has shown. Um, And I hope that I'm not just a hopeless romantic and I hope that I'm not being blindsided. 
Um, if anybody sees any red flags in this man, please let me know because all of these things have been green, green flags for me and clearly they've been green flags for Gracie as well. So if you know, you know, it's all engines go with Gracie here. Anyways, so Tony finally asks Gracie why she never talked to him when they were in school. And Gracie decides to tell him about the time she overheard that he was only working with her so she could do all of the work for a school project. He ultimately apologized and recognized that he was in the wrong a long time ago. And all is well. Anyways, we fast forward to chapter 33. This is right after Willita's hospitalization and Gracie is over at Tony's house or apartment and they're talking about plans for the event. Gracie is triggered by the mariachi set list and thinks of Willita. Tony comforts her and then asks for permission to kiss Gracie. It's consent. We love it. We're here for it. Like I said, green flags. Gracie goes all in and, you know, she forgets everything. So at this point, they're full on making out. She stops overthinking. And as they progress, he constantly is asking for permission to keep going. As a reader, all I'm thinking about is how Tony is such a good balance for her. He even wants her to also benefit in their little rendezvous, right? And like I said, it's just green flags all the way. We know with Gracie, religion is a huge ordeal, and she never has really kissed a guy before or been in a relationship. I'm super excited to see her growth as a character and really have someone to compliment her life. There are a lot of relationship questions with Gracie. Uh, is this a relationship? You know, will she ask for one? How will this unfold over time? Additionally, my questions for Gracie are like, if this doesn't work, how will sex play out for Gracie and her love life? When we think about Gracie, you know, she's just very, she shuts down very easily. There's a moment in the book where she talks about her kiss, her first kiss. She kissed the boy and he got upset because they didn't take it any further. And she ended up making the decision to never kiss anyone again. So for me, I'm just thinking, you know, with her and Tony messing around, is this going to happen again if he leaves her? I think that, you know, for us as a readers, when we finally meet somebody in our lives like Tony, someone who makes us feel safe, someone who we feel like we can be ourselves around, we can feel really comfortable. What is the best way to go about it if you want to pursue a deeper relationship? You know, at this point, Tony and her, their relationship is not defined. But there are all these points of growth for Gracie that I feel like I want to keep seeing. And so it's kind of like in our real lives, when we get to that point, how do we talk about that? How do we let the other person know like, hey, I really like you. I want to keep this going. And also at the same time, does this safeness, right? Does this comfort cover the red flags if there are any it's just interesting for me to think about because i like i said i definitely feel like tony is just a walking green flag like he is hitting every mark in the book he is recognizing his mistakes when he was younger he apologizes he's asking for consent he doesn't want to make gracie uncomfortable all of these things are like green so for me it's kind of just like 
are they green or is it just because we feel safe with this person that they're green you know maybe they were red flags all along and we just didn't see it so if anyone would like to share it i'd like to know you know how do you go about a deeper relationship and does our comfort sometimes blindside us does our comfort blind us from the red flags that existed there all right let's wrap this up overall this book is great I've really enjoyed it so much to this point and I cannot wait to see what is in store for next week. As I've said before, these primas have bits and pieces of me in all of them and I haven't read a book in a while so I'm really happy that I chose to start with this one because of the relatability. I do relate to all of the characters and their experiences so, so much and on on such a deep level. But I definitely want to know, what about everybody else? Do you feel like this book also has pieces that really resonate with you? And if so, in what way? Let me know. Tune in next week for chapters 36 through 47.